Well, it's good to be here in God's house at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning on this Easter Sunday morning. We like to refer to it as Resurrection Morning. It's the day that we observe Christ arose. Of course, we do that every Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday, is to recognize the day that our Lord arose from the grave. So, actually, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. But this is the one that we mark out to observe for the day that the Lord arose from the dead when he gave his life for us on Calvary. Uh, this morning we're going to be taking our text out of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, be reading from. And we're going to look at uh, the first eight verses of this text. And we'll look at several other places throughout the Bible. So, you know, as I always say, keep your Bible ready and open and handy there. Don't, uh, don't close it. Uh, you should keep your Bible open the entire service. You just never know when you need to turn there. And make sure that I'm reading you the right stuff. So, Matthew chapter 28. And here the Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word this morning. Lord, help us now as we try to preach. Lord, as we listen to what you have to say. And God, that you'll just do a mighty work in our hearts today. For those that's here and those that are listening online. And we just uh, want to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, leading up to what we just read here in our opening text, we all know the story. We've been talking about it. Uh, last Sunday, we preached on uh, Palm Sunday, or the day that we observed Palm Sunday. Uh, the day that the Lord made his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem and went up that road as they strawed palm branches there. And we know as he got to the city and, and looked over it, the Bible says that he wept because they'd missed the time of their visitation. And uh, he also told them, he prophesied that they that, that city would be destroyed. And it was, uh, just like he said. And so we know that after that, shortly after that, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's up there praying. And we know the Bible says he prayed as if great drops of blood were coming from him. And uh, the while the disciples were supposed to watch, they were sleeping. And then we know that Judas, the betrayer, had betrayed him, and the Roman soldiers came to take Jesus uh, down from there to put him on trial. Now, we know what happened. He went on that mock trial, even though there was nothing, he was guilty of nothing. But they accused him of uh, blasphemy against God, of course, and breaking Roman law. And uh, so they had to have the Romans involved to put him to death. That's why the Jews couldn't just outright kill him because they had to have Roman, uh, they were under Roman law. And so the Romans are the ones that uh, legally had him put to death, but the Jews were the one that had it done. And we know that after 
that uh, he hung on that cross and uh, he said it's finished. And then uh, he died and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea came and he said he had a, a tomb there and that's where they buried Jesus in his tomb. Uh, we know that uh, because they were afraid somebody was going to come and steal the body and try to claim that he had uh, you know, arose, that uh, they wanted to seal that tomb. And so they did. They sealed the tomb with uh, a, um, uh, the king's seal, or the governor's seal probably in this case. And typically what they did, they rolled the large stone over the opening. They would take a cord or a rope and wrap it around it, and then they would pour wax around that. And they would put the, the seal there, and if that was broken, then uh, that was against the law if you broke that seal, for one thing. And so they thought this was going to keep anybody from sneaking in and taking the body. Not only did they do that, but they posted guards outside of it, just in case that uh, that happened. And so that's where we pick up today. After all that had took place, verse 1 of our text here in Matthew 28 says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. So we find these two Marys that are devoted to Jesus. They have been all through the Bible. You'll find them mentioned. Uh, and by the way, man today has written many secular books about one of these Marys, Mary Magdalene. And they've made up all kinds of stories about it. They spend a great time trying to connect her with different events that happened in the Bible with different people, even though the Bible doesn't say that's who it was. And so you have them stating that she was this and that. And it's all speculation, is all that is. Some try to say she was the woman with the alabaster box that and the, had the perfume and anointed the feet of Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that's who it was. Uh, some say she was the woman that was getting married in the wedding in Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine. The Bible doesn't say that. Many call her a former prostitute. Uh, some have even made wild accusations that she was married to Jesus secretly. There's books written about that. And so all of this, of course, is hogwash. None of it is Bible-based, and it's, it's untrue. The truth is the Bible never says any of those things about Mary of Magdala. All the Bible really says is that she once had seven devils, and it caused her to have infirmities. Now, anything other than that is conjecture when it comes to Mary Magdalene. Now, we know from the other Gospels, not Matthew here, but the other Gospels, that Mary had come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with sweet spices. That's what these two Marys were doing. Uh, this anointing was a type of, um, almost like embalming, but what they did, they would wrap the body in these sweet spices to keep it from uh, smelling. Uh, they wanted to come for, for a time period to weep and mourn at the body, and so they would... They would wrap the body in these spices to keep it kind of preserved and, and more fresh and not smell so bad. And so that was what they were doing. They come to do that. Um, Mary Magdalene was obviously in Jesus' debt. He had done a great thing for her, no doubt, casting those devils out of her. Uh, and, you know, we need to recognize also the things that God does for us. You know, a lot of times God does stuff for us. And we either think, well, that was lucky or that, you know, that's some kind of happenstance or, you know, uh, that just, you know, happened. No, God does so many things for us, yet we refuse to acknowledge it. And we're bad about that. We need to acknowledge the things that God does for us and, and be thankful. Now, this other Mary that's mentioned, 
It says the other Mary. And notice we're not given last names in the Bible. Uh, so, we, you know, you don't know a lot about that. But this other Mary uh, that's mentioned is the mother of James and Joseph. As we read about, you can read about that in the previous chapter, Matthew 27, 55 through 56 says this, And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Uh, there's a lot of Marys mentioned in the Bible, of course, the Lord Jesus' mother. Her name was Mary as well. But what a testimony these two women had. They loved Jesus so much. They followed him. They were loyal to him. They were there present at, at the crucifixion. They were there present at the burial. They were there present after he's been buried for uh, three days. And so what a testimony. They want to make sure his body is properly taken care of. And so uh, I noticed one thing about this. The Bible doesn't mention Peter, James, or John uh, coming to the sepulcher at this time. They're nowhere near. Uh, the, it doesn't mention them. In fact, we're told the, the women have to go and tell them to come. All right, look at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, I want you to notice something here. The, the Bible never says that when the stone was rolled away, that Jesus came out of the tomb. It's not in there. It doesn't say that. Jesus did not need the stone to be rolled away to come out of the grave. Jesus can go anywhere he wants at any time. Uh, he, he didn't need the stone rolled away. The reason the stone was rolled away is so that we could look in and see that he's not there, just like he said he wouldn't be. <laughs> and so the angel rolled the stone away so everybody else that came to the tomb could look in and say, well, hey, he is not there. And so it's so that we could believe that Jesus is telling the truth that he would arise in three days. Look at verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, and this is important, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I like that, as he said. So the angel is, is informing these two Marys, listen, you remember what he said, right? Because he said it many times. It wasn't a secret. Jesus told his followers and his disciples several times that he was going to arise in three days. And why were they not there? Were they so have so little faith that they didn't believe that was going to happen? Were they so scared for their own lives because they were probably wanted men at this point? Were they so scared for their own lives that they were not going to come to see the proof? But the Lord is not in the tomb. And that's one thing that we can rejoice in today. You know, all other religions, except for Christianity, they worship dead men. They worship men that they're, they're nothing but dust and bones in the ground. Christianity is the only religion who worships a live man, a, uh, a man that's came back from the dead, who's been resurrected. 
And so we are the only faith-based religion based upon a man rising from the dead. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. Mark 9, 30 through 32. The Bible says, And they departed thence, and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, listen to what he said, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. <laughs> so here's one instance of Jesus flat out telling them. And they know who he is. He's, he's he referred to the Son of Man. They know that's who he is. It's been proven. And... He tells them, listen, he's going to be killed. He's going to rise again on the third day. And the Bible said they didn't understand it. They were too afraid to ask him. Uh, listen, I understand there's fear of the Lord. I understand there's things that, that go on that uh, cause you to be leery of asking questions sometimes. But these disciples, I believe the, the real problem, I know it says they were afraid to ask him. I believe it was afraid to look stupid is what their problem was. They didn't want to look dumb in front of, of the Lord. I'm surprised Peter didn't say something. I'm surprised he didn't open his mouth and say, Hey, what, what are you talking about? We mean rising in three days. I never heard of that. And uh, he didn't. And so despite the number of times Jesus had told his disciples that he would die and raise again in three days, they never really fully understood what he was talking about. Now look over at John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. John 2, 18 through 22. And here Jesus has gone to the temple and he's found people that in there buying and selling things. And remember the, what happened? He turned over the, the money changers tables and drove them out of the temple. And the Jews got all upset and started questioning him and asking him who gave him this authority and all this. Look what he said to him. John chapter 2, verse 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, that's interesting right there. Now, of course, I wouldn't expect these religious nutcases to understand what Jesus meant, these uh, uh, Pharisees there that's in the temple and asking him, you know, what is it, what, who gave you this authority, and what he says, what signs showest thou unto us? I can understand some of them not understanding. Uh, but the Bible says that Jesus said, destroy this temple, now, it doesn't say he pointed himself, and he most likely did not, because they assumed he meant the building they were in. Now, the fact is that building they were standing in was indeed destroyed. Now, it wasn't rebuilt in three days. It's still not rebuilt. However, the Bible says right here he's referring to himself. He's referring to his body. And after he actually did arise in three days, then the disciples said, Ah, I could have had a V8. He did. I remember him saying that. Now, over in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, 
verses 1 through 8, we see very similar. Luke 24, 1 through 8. This is uh, Luke's account of the events we read about this morning in Matthew. Luke 24 and 1, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember, remember how he spoke, spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. There's a lot of memory going on after Jesus had risen from the dead. A lot of memory. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus did rise from the grave? But our text in Matthew says, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. That's what the, the two men, it says two men here, it's two angels that God had sent to, to speak for, for him. And so it says, Come and see this place where the Lord lay. Even as close and devoted disciples as these two Marys were, they were not expecting to go and find an empty tomb. They had heard all these things Jesus had been telling people. Because the angel said, you remember? And it says, and they remembered his words. So they'd heard it too. That he said, I'm going to rise again in three days. But they wasn't looking for him to be gone. They expected him to be there. Uh, they were going to anoint this man they loved and expect him to be lying in that tomb. And In fact, they were discussing that they were going to have to get someone to roll the stone away for them. And of course, when they get there, and it's already done. But they got more than they bargained for. They say, come see the place where the Lord lay. Listen, nobody stole the body of Jesus. No one. The grave clothes were still in there, but he was not. When Peter and John heard the news from the women, they ran to the sepulcher to see for themselves. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 20, verses 3 through 8. John 20, starting with verse 3. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. Now, this other disciple is no doubt John, the, the one who's writing this text, the apostle John, the disciple. Verse 5, And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. So it's very obvious from these linen clothes lying there that this body had not been stolen. Think about it. If you're going to steal a body, are you going to go into the sepulcher, unwrap the body, which is going to be pretty gross for a dead body. <laughs> you're not going to go and unwrap the body. And you would not place the grave clothes 
there exactly like they were where he was lying. You're gonna if you were gonna unwrap him, you'd unwrap it and throw it around, you know, and get it out of the way. There, no one came in to steal the body. This is proof positive. This is evidence, by the way, that Jesus arose and the body was not taken. No thief would have took the linen clothes off of him and laid it out like that and took the, the head napkin separately and, and put it over to the side. So it's obvious Jesus had left that grave himself just like he had been laying there. It says the, that they, the napkin was wrapped and over here by itself. I want to stop here for a minute and, and, and explain something. Now, no doubt you've seen this little story passed around on Facebook. Uh, it's a little little story about the uh, significance of the folded napkin. That's, that's what it's called. Let me read you that little story. This, the reason I'm doing this is I want to show you how easy it is for people to be, to be uh, misinformed, to be fooled, and to accept things that are not in the Bible. Here's the story. In order to understand the significance of the folded napkin, you have to understand a little bit about Hebrew tradition of that day. The folded napkin had to do with the master and servant, and every Jewish boy knew this tradition. When the servant set the dinner table for the master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted. The table was furnished perfectly, and then the servant would wait just out of sight until the master had finished eating, and the servant would not dare touch that table until the master was finished. Now, if the master was done eating, he would rise from the table, wipe his fingers, his mouth, and clean his beard, and would wad up that napkin and toss it in, onto the table. The servant would then know to clear the table. For in those days, the wadded napkin meant, I'm done. But if the master got up from the table and folded his napkin and laid it beside his plate, the servant would not dare touch the table because he's coming back. And so this little story is trying to say, well, the reason this napkin, would, and they, they keep saying it was folded. It was not folded. It doesn't say the napkin was folded. It says it was wrapped. A fold, this is a fold. This is, this is a fold. A wrap is more like this. That's wrapped. It's not folded. So one thing about this story, well, several things, maybe three things about this story of why it's untrue. And by the way, I've heard many preachers preach this story as if it's true. And they say, well, you know, you've got to know something about Hebrew and Jewish tradition. They obviously don't know anything about Hebrew and Jewish tradition because that is not even historically recorded anywhere that they did that. It's not a part of Jewish history or Hebrew history. You'll not find that anywhere. Uh, so it's not true. First of all, the Bible doesn't say the, the, the napkin was folded. Now, that word that's used for napkin is also used as handkerchief in the Bible. Remember Paul casting out the, the spirits out of the, nap, uh, the handkerchiefs that people brought? The, the same word is translated over that. Secondly, the Jews in that day and no one else in that day used napkins at the table like we do today. It just, they didn't do that. They cleansed their hands. They washed. They had pots and things that they washed their hands in. They didn't use napkins. <laughs> when, you, when you see that word napkin, we think of it in our terms and we think something similar to this, maybe a little 
you know, four by four square. Uh, we've got them in their table. They're they're made out of paper <clears throat> now, but uh, a, a napkin setting at the at the table, and we get up and we you know make sure we we're clean on your you know, and we put it down and everything. That's what we think of, but that's not what this is implying. The napkins that they used were to wipe sweat off their face. It was to blow their noses in, and it was to cover a head and face of a corpse. So this probably wouldn't be big enough at all. It's going to be, it's the napkin in that day is going to be pretty big. Big enough to wrap around the head and face of whoever had died. And then when Jesus took his off, he went and put it over here to the side. Where he was laying, he just come right out of there, and the grave clothes stayed right where he was at. And so there's no recording of this happening in Jewish history. Uh, they didn't use napkins in that day. Not even, not even the Romans at that time used a napkin at the table. Um, so, but the most important thing is it's not in the Bible. It's not in there. John chapter 20 and verse 7 tells us it was wrapped. It was wrapped. And so you'll not find a folded napkin mentioned in the Bible. You're not going to find this little crazy story or anything like that. Now, I know that makes some people mad. And I posted about this last night on social media, by the way, and gave the reasons why that story was a lie. But before I did, I did a search on my friends to see who had been sharing that story. Several. Several of my friends have been sharing that story for years. In fact, you don't find this story except for about 20 years ago is when it started. Apparently, some man started on the internet and it just started going everywhere on Facebook and things like that. And people just bought it. And you've got these people out there that they really are not interested in what the Bible says. They're looking for some deeper meaning. Oh, the deeper meaning. It's just like right now there's another story going on about the donkeys with the cross on their back and what that represented and everything. The Bible doesn't mention a cross on a donkey's back. Sure, it kind of looks like a cross on most donkey's backs, but that's there's nothing saying that's why that's like that because Jesus rode a donkey. You know, It's like those other stories about the the high priest having a, a rope tied around his ankle in case he died in the Holy of Holies. That didn't happen. That's not in the Bible. That's not even true. You're not going to find that in Jewish history or, or uh, anything. But yet, people buy into it. Preachers preach it. What about the one where the, the lamb that, that went astray? Well, you know that the shepherd, he'll go and break the legs of the lamb and carry him around on his back. Another lie. Yet I've heard it preached numerous times. But it's not true. It's not in the Bible. You would not break a sheep's legs to keep him from watering off. You would kill it if it was if it was you broke its legs. It would set up infection. And by the way, a lamb weighs anywhere from 95 to 300 pounds. What shepherd is going to put a, a, a lamb on his back with two broke legs and carry it around for three to six weeks while its legs heal? It's ridiculous. So listen, what I'm trying to do here is to tell you, we don't need to embellish the Bible. God does not need us to make up little stories and lies and fables and cutesy little things to pass around on social media to make his word more significant or to have deeper meaning. Listen, there's deep things of God the Bible talks about. 
And it's revealed to you by studying his word, by praying upon it, by meditating upon it. That's how you understand the deep things of God. But just like one of my friends commented on that post I made, he said, that's right. And he said, it's not like the, uh, you're not trying to find things like the Da Vinci Code tries to you know make you believe. And listen, there's people today that are so into that kind of thing, yet they don't know the Bible at all. But yet they want to know all these real hidden things. You know, oh, there's hidden things in the Bible that you wouldn't know about. But listen what I heard. Everything you read on Facebook's not true. That friend that you have that always looks perfect, that's not true either. They only put the best picture of themselves out there. <laughs> the fact is that Jesus came out of the tomb. And if he had not, there would be no reason for us to even be here this morning worshiping him. In fact, if he didn't resurrect, the Bible tells us our religion would be in vain. And I use that word religion. A lot of people say, oh, I hate religion. Well, I don't like the way most religions have turned things into. That's true. Our neighbor over here, he's all, he's all down religion. He don't believe in religions he's in all this. Listen, the Bible speaks about religion. Re religion is basically what we refer to as our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our religion. Now, religious practices are, is one other thing. Just like the Pharisees used to practice. We don't want to practice that type of religion. But listen to what Paul says when he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 21. The Bible says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are also found false witnesses of God, because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's explaining to the church at Corinth here, he says, listen, don't believe these crazies out there that's telling you there's no such thing as a resurrection. Yes, there is. Uh, the Lord Jesus is resurrected, and if he's not, then I'm lying to you. My preaching is a fable, and I'm going to have to answer to God because I've been telling you that God wrote, brought Jesus up from the dead and resurrected him. And if that's not true, then listen, we're miserable if we're believing in this Christ who didn't raise from the dead because our whole faith is based upon that fact that he rose from the dead. You take the resurrection of Christ out of our faith, we don't have faith. That's what we base our faith on, is his resurrection. His, his death, burial, and resurrection is the gospel. We believe the gospel to be saved. If he didn't raise from the dead, we're not saved. We're going to hell. But he is risen. Since he's risen, our sins are forgiven. Since our sins are forgiven, we don't have to pay for them. Since we don't have to pay for them, we don't have to go to hell. And since we don't have to go to hell, we get to go to heaven. Aren't you glad of that today?
All right, let's finish up here. Verse 7 of our text, back in Matthew. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and had run to bring his disciples' word. I have preached a message on that about running and going and telling. And uh, how exciting that is. It said they had fear and great joy. <laughs> two, it seems almost like two different emotions going on at one time. This fear is, it's so overwhelming what has actually occurred here that Christ actually did rise from the dead. And so naturally that's going to cause you to have some kind of, I mean, utter fear about how, just how important this is and what an impact it is, but also so much joy knowing that it's true, that he's true, that what he said is true, and he's risen. So I like that, with fear and great joy, and it run to bring his aside. didn't say they, they skipped off or walked off or, you know, uh, eventually they got there. No, they ran as quick as they could is what they did. Every man and woman that's trusted Jesus as Savior ought to be filled with great joy and fear today of the Lord. The Bible says that's beginning of knowledge and wisdom is to fear the Lord. Fear out of great respect for the Lord. But it says he's risen as he said he would. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Listen, it's with great confidence that I can stand here this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. What is it? April 17th, 2022. And knowing that the Lord Jesus, just as he said he would numerous times, that he would be taken, he would be killed, he would be buried, but he would arise again in three days. Just like Jonah in the, uh, the, the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, he would remain there and then he would arise. And so the good news is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the good news of the gospel. That is why we can stand here on Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday morning, however it is you want to call it, is to recognize what Jesus did, that he is our Savior. And really that's how you are saved, is believing that. Believing in the resurrection story of everything that occurred with it. Putting faith in it. We were not there. I wasn't there. You weren't there. But I believe it with all my heart, by faith, I believe that it happened and that Jesus right now as we speak, the Bible says, is seated, sitting on the right hand of the Father. The right hand represents the power of God. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God. Making, the Bible says making intercession for us. That means those that have trusted Jesus, has believed the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those that's believed him and are now his children or God's children, Jesus sits there and he intercedes on our behalf. Everything we do goes through Jesus to God. From Jesus to God. From us to Jesus to God. He is our intercessor. There's one mediator between God and man. That man, Christ Jesus. Not the Pope in the box. It's Jesus. And so if you believe that today, then the good news is that Jesus saves. And the Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If you've not been saved today, if you're listening right now on the internet, 
wherever it may be, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Sermon Audio, um, Rumble. We're on all kinds of different social media platforms. And wherever you are right now listening to this, if you've never been saved, all you simply need to do is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Repent of your sins and turn to him for salvation. And repenting is not a work. Repenting is recognizing you don't want to be the filthy, dirty, nasty creature that you are. You're turning from a sinner toward Christ to save you. That's repentance. And so if you can believe that right now, I want us all to bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today thanking you for the message, thanking you for the resurrection, thanking you for the gospel, thanking you for saving us from our sins. God, if there's one today that's listening, right now, God, that's never been saved, Lord, would you convict their hearts, show them that they must be saved if they want to be born again. If they want to go to heaven when they close their eyes in death, Lord, they must be saved. And the only way is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of their sins and trust Jesus to save them. Lord, would you help them today? God, help us reach them, Lord, whatever we can do. And Lord, we'll give you the honor, the praise, and the glory for it all. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.